Welcome to Fire and Trainers Podcast Season 3, Episode 24, published on August 15th, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking with Mike Oxner about how to improve your shooting and your students' shooting. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Visit their website, ftaprotect.com. Learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. If you've already gone through the process of becoming a certified instructor, if you're already teaching classes, then you are the right person to be applying for FTA coverage. And remember, receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by KSG Holsters. They're professional-grade Kydex handcrafted here in the United States of America. They're available for a large variety of firearms. They're purpose-built one-by-one for comfort and concealability. All KSG Holsters are Enigma-compatible. There are a lot of customization options, so you can order the holster that fits your needs exactly. Remember, KSG Holsters. We bring you this podcast support in the industry. The Second Amendment. And most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that makes gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Mike Oxner. Welcome, Mike, and thanks for taking the time out to uh, speak to our audience today. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Rob. Yeah. Well, you've uh, written a couple uh, books, and uh, we've got a really good topic today. But before we jump into that, can you give our listeners a little bit of who Mike Oxner is? Yeah, there's a, a few few aspects to it. I'll make it quick. Um Married, have two boys, live up in uh, in the woods in North Idaho, and I'm a full-time neurology-based firearms instructor. And basically, about a decade ago, I the consequences of several concussions started catching up with me, and I could no longer read as well as I used to be able to. I um, uh, had vertigo almost every night. My hand-eye coordination was shot. I was falling a lot. And things kind of sucked. And I had to decide whether that was going to be my new normal or if I was going to figure out a solution to it. And ended up getting connected with some uh, performance neurology experts and got everything straightened out and started using some of the drills with shooters. And I would get just phenomenal results. Uh, Results way, way quicker than what were possible with traditional methods. And so that kind of lit a fire. And for the last seven, eight years, I've been um, digging down those holes in, in performance neurology and figuring out how to help people learn way, way quicker. That's very interesting. And why we've got you on the show today. First thing you got to uh, ask, and if anybody's uh, Googled you, they might, f- and they might find this, but why do they call you the mad scientist of firearms? <laughs> I'll... Uh... I'll give you an example. Is it most of your audience watching or is it a combination of watch and listen? They'll, they'll be listening. Okay. Uh, well, you know what? They can do, they can do it uh, listening. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, it'll be a follow along at home thing. If you uh, turn your head as far as you can to the right and left two or three times and then tug on the tops of both of your ears three to five times. And then on the tops of your ears, pulling forward three to five times, and then up and back three to five times. And then try and turn again and see if you got more range of motion. I think I could actually uh, perceive a little bit more 
I don't know if it's because I warmed it's, up the first time or not, but that's an well, interesting thing to do. That's why I have people do it a few times is so that uh, the third or fourth time they're, uh, they're warmed up and they're not just getting an increase in range of motion because they, they're doing it for the second time. Um, so about 60 to 80% of people see a measurable difference in range of motion and uh, fewer, fewer crunchy sounds when they, when they turn their neck. Uh, they can turn quicker. They can turn smoother. And the reason for it is because if you, if you think about a dog, when they hear a sound off to the side, they, um, their, ear, their ears go up and towards it as their head turns towards it. And both the, the head turning and the ear going up are tied in the same part of the brain. And they're tied in the same part of the brain in people too. And we can manipulate it. And if there's a uh, reduced range of motion in the neck, a lot of times get an increase in range of motion. And it's, there's a ton of things in the brain that are wired that way uh, all throughout the body where we can get almost immediate changes in performance. And so uh, people after experiencing one or two or three of those, the, the, the mad scientist uh, moniker kind of, it becomes very obvious. Uh, that is very interesting because I've, I've, uh, you know, stretched, I've done different things like that before, um, doing certain exercises. Uh, but at the same time, I'd never, nobody's ever had me go along and tugging my ears in different directions to, to <laughs> increase my range of motion. It's always been, you know, okay, you know, just, you know, work it a little bit more, hold it there for a little bit and I'll try it the other way and go back and forth. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, hey, Mike, why, what really drove you to want to write this book, uh, Real World uh, Gunfighting Training? The, there's a couple of things. I, I've got uh, law enforcement in my family, military in my family. A lot of my friends are military and law enforcement. And one of the things that I saw was that we train, we do firearms training differently than any other elite sport in the world trains. We, um, I Professional sports, they have basically identified how the brain learns most effectively, and they figure out how to build the most skill in the least amount of time. And with firearms training, we don't really do that. We don't, we don't decide what we're going to do based on how the brain learns. We decide what we're going to do based on scheduling and risk mitigation. So the, the limitations that are imposed on us by live fire. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get around that, if we can get around scheduling issues, if we can get around the limitations of live fire, we can match the way that we train to the way that the brain learns. And it's way, way more efficient. Instead of benefiting, uh, getting 10% of the benefit of our training, uh, we can get 80, 90, 100% of the benefit of our training. Because mm -hmm. I know, yeah. If you know people that do golf or baseball, football, um, tennis, any of those that get up to the elite levels, uh, they've got to train and they've got to do it in specific ways so they can keep, keep that edge that they have. You know, it's not just good enough that mm -hmm. they hit the ball harder. They have to be able to see the ball uh, quicker and be able to go along and react because as I, you know, especially with uh, baseball, you know, when you go along and think about you're trying to hit a three-inch yep. uh, diameter ball, 
with a, you know, three inch diameter piece of wood or aluminum for it. It's traveling at 90 miles an hour. And you've got anywhere, you know, within a 24 inch, you know, square that you, that, that ball could be at, and you want to connect with it to hit the home run. It's mathematically impossible, but at the same time, the brain, if it gets trained properly, can go along and see the ball, notice the spin on the ball, whichever way it's going or no spin at all. And that thereby go along, and make a very quick determination about where in that uh, strike box, they should be swinging that bat or whether they should not swing at all. And, uh, Pete Rose being from Cincinnati and everything saw a lot of his uh, explanations and it's actually really phenomenal. You know, I played baseball, but when you listen to a major leaguer, like I talk about it, literally it's like, yeah, I never thought about it that deeply, but you know, he was sitting there talking, I mean, talking about all the details about it. And that's where, you know, where you were talking about from a gun from a firearm training perspective uh we talk about things like that but we do it through sheer repetition a lot of times we just keep doing the same thing over until we become faster Mm -hmm. we do it until we can make it more accurate we don't necessarily do something non-firearm in order to make our eyesight or our trigger press those types of things uh more accurate yeah exactly that's uh very interesting very interesting well, one of the things that you talk about in your book is the illusion of competency or what some people know it as is the Dunn and Kruger effect. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the illusion of competency is the phenomenon where if you go to a class or you go and you do training on your own for an hour or two or three and you get to the end of it and you're really good and you've improved a lot. It's natural to think that that is your current skill level, when in reality, it's not. Uh, And the reason for that is because of how memory works. At the end of a live training, you're able to operate out of uh, working memory or short-term memory. And you you can perform what you have been taught and what you have repeated like a trained monkey. But once you get a sleep cycle or two, working memory gets wiped out and some of it gets transferred over to what's called long-term procedural memory. And some of it doesn't, most of it doesn't. And so a, a more accurate reflection of our skill is how we perform when we're cold and not warmed up. And ideally when it's been a day or two or three since we've, since we've practiced. And that gives us an indication of what has actually made it into long-term procedural memory and is a more uh, accurate reflection of how good we are. Mm -hmm. And that's where in any of the ranking systems for IDPA and different things, you just don't win one match and immediately become a grandmaster. You have to work up through the ranks to show that you've mastered it and, you know, done it multiple times before you can actually become, you know, the next level type of thing there's mm-hmm. no jumping uh between it that's for sure because everybody can have a good day that's for sure yeah absolutely and, and that's where to your point about you know waiting a couple of days taking um you know good firearm instructors good you know firearm students will you know sometimes take classes over again 
to go along and refresh your memory about it short term so it can get more into the long term and also have somebody go along and you know critique them also because the, those kind of critiques go along and say hey you've you know developed a flinch or you've or you've done it this way or that way is good to go along and have uh, a a trained eye watch you because nobody's perfect. I mean, even the best Olympic shooter has a coach that looks at him and it's like, okay, you know, you're doing this now. And it might be only, you know, really, really subtle, um, problem, but when you're shoot, but when you're shooting at the Olympic level, you want everything to be 100%, you know, perfect each time. And that's, that's where those athletes really have to focus on making sure their mind, um, you know, eyes, hands, everything is, is at top notch so that they can perform at that level for it. So Mike, with that illusion of competency and such and the short-term, long-term memory, what implications does that have to a fire instructor when they're teaching their students? Yeah, there's a couple of things that they can do to help out with this a lot and uh, kind of big picture. If you frame training as a opportunity to learn how to train rather than an opportunity to learn a whole bunch of skills in one or two or three days, uh, number one, it's a lot more accurate. And number two, it's going to set up the, the student to be able to take those skills that you're trying to teach them and own them so that they can use them at a high level under stress. And the way that you do that route, as far as like the real world, do this, do this, do this, is you want to uh, make a point to tell the students in class, uh, do this drill when you get home and maybe go into the specifics. Uh, ideally, you have the, the students or you film them or have them film each other with their own cameras doing the drill correctly or film you doing it directly so that when they get home, they have a standard that they can measure themselves against. And then uh, the more defined curriculum you can give them to do once they get home, the, the more specific the sustainment training, uh, the better. And uh, a lot of instructors use my material for that because they uh, do not have the desire or uh, want to go through the pain of learning how to uh, create at-home courses for students. But uh, it's something that every, every instructor can do if they want to do. And it can be video-based, it can be written, but the, the, the core idea is uh, once you have spent all of that time pouring yourselves into a student, figuring out how do you get that information into their long-term memory, not just into short-term memory, but into long-term memory so that it can save their life down the road. Mm -hmm. And a recommendation for our listeners, uh, on your smartphone, some of them have, yeah, well, pretty much all of them can take uh, videos. Now someone can do slow motion, but if you don't have the slow motion, or even if you do have slow motion, an app that I recommend to my instructors is the app called coaches. Eye that yep. installs for both um your android and apple and it gives the ability to go along and take any video and slow it down it slices it into uh pieces and gives you a really nice turntable that you can go forward backward backwards and forwards and see the minute motions that somebody's making in order to really do what mike was talking about there so little little sidebar that if you are thinking okay how do i do this uh coach's eye uh, you can ha have a paid subscription or you can go along and do the free subscription that limits you on the on length of uh, videos that'll convert and everything. 
The paid subscription, I don't think they're offering anymore. Oh, okay. They, wow. Uh, okay. A few months ago, they sent me an email and said, we're no longer going to charge you. We're um, basically deprecating the platform. So it's in the next 12 months or so, it's going to go away and be gone for good. Unfortunately, wow. it's, it's, been a, it's been a great platform. Uh, and I still haven't replaced it. I, there's, I've used half a dozen other platforms and I still like coaches. I the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I found it very useful. Uh, you know, I, I'm not doing, you know, long videos, just short 30 second videos, but it goes along, allows you to zoom in on so many different uh, pieces of it that, you know, I've taken it from left and right, you know, and behind them to go along, show them exactly what I'm seeing because it's those small little movements, wa- wasted movements that can go along really, uh, be the difference when when you're talking about operating at a higher level mm-hmm. here's a question for you for you mike um what's your attitude about dry fire training <laughs> well i'll say this about dry fire training it will uh, imprint whatever you do into long-term memory very very well and it is like a sharp knife you use it correctly, it can do great things. You use it incorrectly, you can do great damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you have to be uh, have to be knowledgeable and disciplined about how you do dry fire, or you can end up with some really weird stuff showing up in live fire. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got the dry fire training cards also, which I think help uh, bridge that gap and give you something you, that the students can take home and actually practice uh, for you. Yeah, I came up with that with a, uh, a group of instructors almost oh, might have been more than 10 years ago now. And uh, basically, I, I wrote a book called Tactical Firearms Training Secrets. And people were saying, hey, you know what, this is great. Just tell me what to do. And so we ended up getting together and uh, making the dry fire training cards and yeah they've they've helped a a ton of people Mm -hmm. they give give shooters variety they uh, one of the big things is it kind of forces you to do things that maybe you wouldn't do otherwise Uh, maybe work on your weaknesses a little bit and Mm -hmm. because it's it's real easy to only go out and do the two three four drills that you like and you're good at it's not always easy to do the things that uh, that are challenging. And it's also a, a, a huge factor in how quickly you learn is how much, and I don't want to get too much into brain science using fancy words. I try to do as much brain science as possible using simple words. But the, the cerebellum is a big, big part of the brain, and it is responsible for error correction. And it is a huge player in how we perform a complex motor skill under stress. And in order to activate the cerebellum, we can't have 100% success. We have to have error correction. And so what that means is if you're grinding out perfect rep after perfect rep after perfect rep, and you've been shooting for a while, your cerebellum's basically turned off. And you're not learning. You're going through the reps, you're checking boxes, mm-hmm. but you're not growing. And by having a big variety of drills to do, it keeps the cerebellum engaged and mm-hmm. it maximizes learning speed. Yeah, it's one of the things where, you know, go along and caution people when they 
do a drill too much and they don't put the thinking process into the cerebellum and mm-hmm. that becomes a training scar. And perfect example is if every time you draw your gun, you shoot it, that's a training yep. scar. I mean, and that, it's one of those things Well, why else would I draw your gun? Well, what happens if the situation doesn't warrant it or, you know, it's not safe behind the target or any number of other situations that you've got to think through, because if you're not training your eyes to go along and scan and say, okay, you know, what's in front of me, what's behind them, you know, all those types of things, you might be able to go along and defend yourself, but then you're going to go along and shoot the bus full of, uh, of kids that's. Uh, that is driving past all at the same time. And those are things to where, uh, you know, bad things can happen. And the training, the muscle between the ears can be very difficult compared to just training the, the, uh, you know, the fingers to, to press, press triggers, because there's gotta be so many more situations that have to be done and having the variety. And as you say, engaging the cerebellum really goes along, gets people start thinking about, okay, if I, draw now i've got to go through this checklist as the gun's going on to target so that once i've got the target alignment i've already got the answer is it a yes or a no and if it's a no what else am i going to do it takes a, a immediate detour and starts getting you to move or gets you to start you know going to cover those, those types of things that only comes to repetition and, and proper uh, training yeah we'll never know the real numbers but john farnham estimates that for uh, non-duty situations, uh, the gun comes out of the holster 30 times for every time it's shot in a self-defense situation mm-hmm. because a smooth, decisive presentation a lot of times will make, a, make an attacker say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And fumbling it can embolden them, but having a, a smooth presentation uh, a lot of times can can stop the incident without needing to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take a page out of Tom Gibbons' uh, book where you go along and you think that everybody's going to run every time you pull a gun out and point at them. And he actually points out that if you have a hardened criminal, they know the facts that they can get shot. They probably have been shot and they'll survive. So pointing a gun at them doesn't threat doesn't um, scare them as much as it does somebody who's never had a gun pointed at them. And yep. at the same time, okay, you shoot them once, but you know, or you don't shoot them, but all of a sudden they're able to get the gun away from you, and they don't have any, any qualms about going along using it on you or somebody else. And those are the types of things that again you've got to go through the checklist and say, okay, if I if I draw this, am I willing to use it? Is it a situation that I can use it? How can I use it uh, legally, lawfully? All all those types of things. You in your book you talk about improving the shooter's vision, which I thought was really interesting because being a um older shooter myself i know my vision has been affected by and a lot of instructors i i teach well that's one of their biggest challenges that they they either they have personally or they have with their students because we when you're teaching public you're always teaching a wide variety of uh citizens that are out there and some of them have eye problems you know nearsightedness and that's that's where they need to have uh you know some additional help with it what's your method for improving the shooter's vision well there's several different aspects to vision and uh, i'll give you well we can start with focal acuity is how how clearly you see things that uh, there are ways to help with that and i do uh, help shooters with that 
But honestly, glasses and contacts do a great job of that uh, if they're prescribed correctly. And if they're not prescribed in a way that um, uh, causes the vision to get worse over time. Uh, I've been to a couple of years ago, just as an experiment, I went to several eye doctors in a row. And then I went to a neurooptometrist. And from the, the eye doctors, several in a row, I got several different prescriptions, wildly <laughs> different prescriptions from each one. And each one was convinced that I, it was the best one for me. I frustrated them a lot because uh, if I didn't go with their second or third recommendation, not because I was trying to be difficult, but because it wasn't good, uh, they basically just handed me lots of samples and said, I've got to go to the next patient. Uh, Neurooptometrist will work with you and, and help you over time figure out how to minimize the correction that you need uh, with a combination of uh, lenses and with, with exercises. And I do, I, I have those exercises in my, my courses also. But there's other things that are a lot easier to work on that most people aren't even aware of. And I'll give you an example. I was helping with an aerial gunnery program a few months ago and basically engaging threats out of a helicopter with a carbine. And on their training program, they start with uh, shooting prone, basically just to make sure that their, their sights are, are set up correctly. And then sitting on a stationary chair and engaging targets, and then sitting on a chair that's on a hanging platform. And they start engaging targets at 50 yards. And there was a guy who was a military sniper, law enforcement marksman, uh, performed as expected. He was a rock star on the prone, rock star unseated. When he got on the hanging platform, he dropped down to 20% hits. And he got really frustrated. Mm -hmm, I can and, imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so he was trying to figure it out and trying to figure it out and getting more and more frustrated. And everyone came back to load mags. He loaded up real quick and went back out and was, was doing stuff on his own. And so I went out there and I said, uh, watched him and said, Hey, you want to try something? And he said, sure. And I said, all right, stick your uh, hand out all the way and put your finger up and then move it to the right and the left and follow it with your eyes like a sobriety test. And he did. And I said, all right, was it smooth in one direction and choppy in the other? And he said, yeah, how'd you know? It's like, it doesn't matter. All right, I'm going to give you a Band-Aid solution, and I'm going to give you a permanent solution. The Band-Aid solution is, for the rest of the time you're here, when you're approaching the target from the smooth direction, take the shot. When you're approaching the target from the choppy direction, swing through, and then come back from the smooth direction and take the shot. And he instantly went to 80% hits. And the reason was, and what I, what I knew was happening, I didn't even need to see his eyes, was uh, his eyes were moving at different speeds. And so when they were moving at different speeds, he was getting double vision. And it was visual confusion. It was slowing down his visual processing. And when we was trying to shoot on the move, he was behind reality too far. Mm -hmm. And so he was shooting too far in the past and uh, was missing the target. 
And once he only took shots from the smooth direction, he was good to go. And we see this uh, doing plate racks or other uh, multiple target arrays where people perform much better in one direction than the other. And a lot of times it's because they've got one eye that's moving uh, jerky in a jerky fashion instead of smoothly, or the eyes are just moving at different speeds and they're seeing two sets of targets. And so there's, uh, that's one aspect of vision. Um, uh, vision speed is definitely one. The speed that you can move your eyes is called a saccade or a saccade, a jerky movement of the eyes. And uh, one of the, the most um, impactful examples of this is driving. And back when all of my concussion stuff was giving me the most trouble, it would take me about two seconds to shift my focus and be able to see things. So what that meant for driving was I'd be looking straight ahead. I'd look down at my speedometer and it'd take me about two seconds for my vision to settle down enough to where I could read the speedometer. Wow. And then I'd shift my focus back up and it'd take about another two seconds to uh, be able to see things clearly in front of me. Uh, after I started doing vision training, I went from uh, that to being able to shift focus about 180 times a second. Or not a second, uh, per minute. Uh, per second would be incredible. And so it was a, a huge, huge impact. And you think about uh, scanning an area and then seeing movement and shifting your focus to the threat. Uh, the the less lag you can have, the better. And it's a very, very trainable skill. And one of the cool things about vision training is that with a lot of the things that we do with shooting, the biggest benefit that it's going to have is in a life or death situation. With vision training, you can do vision training for the purposes of being a better shooter, but it's going to help absolutely every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And so we get 24-7 benefit out of it instead of once-in-a-lifetime benefit out of it or once-a-week or once-a-month benefit out of it. That is, that is uh, really cool. Never really thought about vision like that, but that's uh, another one of those things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, uh, and see. That's uh, good Can stuff. Can I share another example with you? That Yeah. I okay. love these things. All right. So are you familiar with the, the Bendon uh, form of aiming. Uh, he was the, uh, basically if you take a, a red dot or, um, optic and you put the front cover on it, uh, you should be able to see the dot and look with your non-dominant eye at the target and have them line up correctly. No, I hadn't, and, I hadn't tried that, but it's, it sounds interesting. Okay. Well, it, it works for some people, but, uh, what it depends on is your eyes both being pointed at what you're looking at. And 36% of the population, their eyes are looking, they're, they're pointed at a point in space in front of what they're looking at. And another 9% are pointed past what they're looking at. And so what that means is uh, in extreme examples, you see two sets of targets when you're looking at the target or when you're trying the, the bend and aiming system, uh, you're going to have a lateral offset in where you shoot based in or compared to where you think you're shooting. So if you, 
look at it from a shooting perspective, it may or may not be a big deal, but let's look at it from a, a whole life perspective. Um, general population, 46%, uh, their eyes aren't pointed where they're looking. Uh, people with ADHD, it's well over 90%. And when teachers do vision drills to help with this, uh, 80% of the students have fewer behavioral issues in class. They they no longer have the symptoms of the behavioral symptoms of someone who's been labeled with ADHD. It mm -hmm. takes ADHD from being a problem to being a superpower. And it happens. Uh, there's, there's several uh, different things where uh, not having the eyes pointed at where you're looking causes stress in the brain and it ends up showing up as behavioral issues and, uh, can really help change, change things, make, re makes reading easier. Um, again, behavioral issues makes catching easier. A lot of really cool, uh, benefits from, from addressing it. Wow. Got me thinking about a whole lot of, uh, more things, uh, about <laughs> the vision. Well, Hey, not to, not to st spend all our time on vision, Talk to us about balance, because I thought that was really interesting how you were talking in balance um, with shooting. Yeah, so balance, well, uh, back up big picture, every physical skill that we do in our entire life is built on a foundation of vision, balance, and body awareness. And if we don't have those three things working together or working on their own and working together, then we're never going to be as good as at the complex skill as we could be. And we're not going to learn as fast as we could. So if we look at balance, uh, one of the cool things about balance is that it stabilizes vision. And the interaction between balance and vision is the fastest reflex in the body. It's the vestibulo-ocular reflex. And what it does is it's what allows us to look at something and turn our head back and forth and still be looking at that same thing or um, up and down. And it allows us to read while we're moving our head. It allows us to maintain focus while we're walking and our head is moving while we're running, while we're sprinting and driving, biking, etc. And it's ridiculously important. And when it's working well, it's like smooth uh, 4K TV. It's uh, clear. Our vision is clear when we're moving. It's crisp and it's stabilized. When it's not working, it's more like an eight millimeter home movie. It's grainy <laughs> and it's choppy and may even be um, uh, you see fewer frames per second. And <laughs> when that happens, it is most often a result of issues with the the relationship between the inner ear and the eye. And it's why performance drops off so much for some people when they start trying to shoot on the move at high speed. And it's why some people can sprint laterally and still be able to aim and make accurate hits uh, if those systems are working together. No. Um, so that's, that's a lot to digest there. Yeah, there's a, a, a cool example that I, I like to share. And if you uh, can imagine Forrest Gump on his boat waving at Lieutenant Dan. Mm -hmm. And 
see he's just waving his arm all crazily. And what we see is the arm waving. And 90% of the muscle output from the brain or the, the muscle activation is actually on, it, it's to maintain balance. And the majority of it's on the opposite side of the body. And this is such a big deal that if we look at drawing a pistol with our right arm, uh, we would think that the first muscles in the body to activate would be in the shoulder or in the arm. But 80 thousandths of a second before that, the muscles in the opposite hip and thigh engage. And 10 to 20 milliseconds before that, the muscles in the opposite foot and ankle engage. And the reason is the brain is thinking, all right, I don't want to fall on the ground. Uh, I'm going to be moving this, this weight, this gun. I'm going to be moving it quickly. And if I don't account for that, I'm going to fall on my face. So it flexes the muscle of the opposite leg and hip in anticipation of it so that you can move quickly and not fall down. And so that you can move quickly and not be wobbling the gun all over trying to regain balance. Very interesting. Some, uh, and it's the same effect as when we uh, pump our arms as we're running. I, I would, uh, I would assume, you know, we're swing, swinging the opposite limbs, uh, from one another to keep our balance. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, inner limb neural coupling and where the, the right elbow and the left knee are connected in the brain to stabilize and counteract each other's movement. And well, yeah, which, which, is, which is pretty amazing. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. The speed that that happens and the accuracy is um yeah it's phenomenal yeah that's where see uh you know the the robots that they've made and they've made great progress with them but it also underscores how much computing power it takes to move things simultaneously to do you know smooth motion and they've come a long way in the last you know 20 years i'm sure they'll do better in the next 20 years but the human brain the human uh physiology is uh much more complex than just uh you know moving moving something up and down it it takes you know so many different movements to keep us balanced balanced and be able to run and be able to go along and think while we're while we're moving and you know shift our brain power from okay i know how to move my feet to you know this is what i get to do with my hands type type of activities so, mm -hmm. very good hey uh hey mike can you go along and what would be one of the big takeaways for instructors that are listening to this podcast to where they can go along and help their students. What, what would be, you know, one or two big takeaways if you wanted to, wanted them to, you know, take that away from this. Wow. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. One of the, the biggest ones is to spread out the learning process as long as possible and both uh, before class and after class. Uh, before class, I can do it by, um, well, I, I split up learning into uh, vocabulary, concepts, skills, and application of skills or, or tactics. And if you teach all four of them at the same time or in really close proximity to each other, the student's going to be struggling trying to remember what words mean and what concepts mean. And they're going to spin out and be trying to remember rather than being in the present and listening to the instructor. And if the instructor can push out the vocabulary and the concepts ahead of time, the student's going to be able to learn the skills way, way quicker and learn more of them when you have them in front of you. 
Uh, if you can demonstrate skills on video and have the student watch them before class, it activates something called mirror neurons. And so when they get to class, they're not seeing or performing a skill for the first time. They've done it in their head five, 10, 50, 100 times already. And what that means is an exponential increase in the amount of information that you can teach and that they can retain. And then afterwards, again, like I was talking about, is uh, the more you can stretch out the learning with sustainment drills and having them repeat the things that they did with you in class, the more likely it is that they're going to perform at a high level under stress. That's good. That's uh, quite a bit for instructors to, um, to absorb. But I think also the one thing good about having a podcast is you can go back and uh, hit repeat and listen to podcasts over again because you've, you've definitely piled in a whole lot of information on, you know, learning on how people, you know, can learn their vision, their, uh, you know, balance, all those types of things that as instructors, we need to know so that we can help our students be the best they can be, you know, for that one time when they do get in that gunfight, they do need to have the speed, need to know, how, they need to have the, you know, the visual acuity, the mental uh, fortitude to be able to get, to be able to not only survive, but to uh, persevere through, through a violent encounter. So that's great, Mike. We've been asking all our guests this year, can you name an influential mentor that's helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, there's been, there have been a ton. Um, And one of the, the most influential has been Dr. Eric Cobb. And Eric has a, a very strong combatives and firearms background. And he's also a, uh, one of the best performance neurology experts in the world. Uh, he, uh, trains the trainers who work with, uh, a lot of the world champion sports teams in the world. And I've, I've been incredibly fortunate to train under him, have him help me. Uh, he's a big reason why I, I have my, my balance back and don't have vertigo every night. So big, big influence. Yeah. I would say if you know, he was uh, successful in doing that, that's a great testament to the work that he's done. So that's uh, really good. Well, Mike, where can people find more about you and uh, classes you're teaching, uh, books, uh, all those things that uh, you know, Mike Oxner is doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. The, the best place to go is realworldgunfighttraining.com. And that's the, the title of my newest book. And uh, a lot of the things that we talked about today, I not only talk about them in the book, but I've got 90 citations to uh, research studies and papers so that if people want to dig deeper or if they just want to know if this is all made up or if there's anything actually behind it, uh, it's all listed out there. And I did that for um, uh, IATALYST uh, continuing education accreditation for law enforcement. Uh, so, uh, when you're there, you can get a free summary of the book, a uh, great deal on the book right now. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you can get a link to my blog and I do some pretty cool stuff on there. Just did a video on, uh, engaging high angle threats, uh, at a distance, uh, inspired by the, the Highland Park shooting and other active shooter situations where the, the shooter took an elevated position. 
can you engage with a with a pistol at distance at high angles? Should you engage with a pistol at distance at high angles? Um, let's see. The other one is dryfiretrainingcards.com. And on homepage, I've got a great deal on the on dry fire training cards and 21 day alpha shooter. And then at the bottom of there, again, there's a, a link to the blog and you can get get a hold of me through both of those. And uh, most of what I do on training is either for agencies or uh, groups that bring me out and uh, train with with a group of people that they have um, they put together before they before they call me or contact me. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's very cool. And uh, definitely different, um, different perspective when it comes to training and how to get the most out of your uh, students. So appreciate your time tonight, Mike. And, uh, thanks for sharing. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Yeah, have a good one. You too. That's a wrap for this episode. I hope you found it interesting helping you improve your shooting and what you can help your students with on their shooting. So share it with your friends, share it with your other instructors. But don't let it fall out of practice on when you're doing instruction. Do you have a suggestion for an episode or someone you want me to have on as a guest? I'm always available at FTP at concealedcarry.com. You can also leave us feedback on our Facebook page. You can also leave us feedback on our website. Our website is firemtrainerpodcast.com. On our website, you can also search our previous episodes on all the different topics that we've done in the last three years. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. And remember, as listeners to this podcast, you can get 10% off from your policy by entering in promo code FTP10 at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry of the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.